0: I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. If a picture is worth a thousand words, then Phyllis Posnick's photos are worth a hundred thousand. Known for her vibrant, concept-driven fashion and beauty editorials, as well as her iconic portraits of celebrated personalities, Phyllis Posnick has enriched the pages of American Vogue for the last 30 years. She's collaborated with renowned photographers such as Anton Corbin, Stephen Klein, Annie Leibovitz, Helmut Newton, Irving Penn, Tim Walker, creating provocative, beautiful, and sometimes shocking editorial shoots. After graduating from Syracuse University, Phyllis began her career at British Vogue. In 1988, after subsequent positions at Calvin Klein and Glamour, Phyllis joined Anna Wintour at American Vogue as executive fashion editor. In 2009, Phyllis edited Extreme Beauty in Vogue, chronicling extraordinary images and contemporary ideas from beauty within the pages of Vogue. The book was published in conjunction with the exhibition of the same title. In 2016, Phyllis published Stoppers, photographs from my life at Vogue. Currently as contributing editor to American Vogue, Phyllis's arresting images continue to appear in the magazine, and she's now working on other editorial and consulting projects. Phyllis, welcome in my chair.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Oh, you know what? I was just thinking about um, reading your bio is how many times American Vogue comes up. And it's like, that must be such a huge part of of your career and, and life in fashion.
1: It is. Um, I, I started work for Vogue at British Vogue. And I won't say how many years ago. And then I went to work for American Vogue as an assistant left to go to Glamour magazine, came back as beauty editor of American Vogue, left to go to Calvin Klein, went back to Glamour, and then went back to American Vogue a year before Anna got there.
0: Did everything really change when Anna got there? Could you feel that the magazine was going to go under um, new leadership and change direction?
1: Oh, completely.
0: Anna really brought in putting um, celebrities on the cover. Was that fair to say?
1: I think times changed and Anna went along with any major changes culturally. And there was a time, I don't know what year that celebrities became, it was, you know, before the influencers, it was celebrities. And um, so Anna just went along with what was happening in the world.
0: And did that feel like a shakeup at the time? Like, you know, now having influencer culture feels like a total, like, you know, 180 from where we were. Did that feel like that?
1: Yeah, it did. We all resisted it as long as we could. Anna was the first to embrace it, seeing what the future was. But uh, we were all sitting there saying, oh my God, do we have to do this? And do we have to photograph that one? Because we loved models and the models always look beautiful in the clothes. It was easier to work with them. But, you know, we went along with it and it it worked.
0: So I wanted to ask you... You've ended up in a kind of specific role at Vogue in terms of you are the person to go to for portraits and beauty and um, kind of arresting images that you see in Vogue that is largely a fashion magazine. So how did you how do you think you ended up in that particular uh, position?
1: It was kind of an accident when I went back to Vogue. I wasn't doing sittings or shoots as they're called now. I was coordinating the different shoots and working with Anna on actually producing the shoots with the editors and then following through afterwards with layouts with Anna and Alex Lieberman. And they didn't do beauty shoots. Grace Mirabella did a lot of beauty and health shoots. That was her big interest. Anna her focus was fashion and so they weren't doing beauty shoots and she realized after a while that while she tried to get some beauty pictures from the fashion shoots they were never what she wanted so I think it was Alex Lieberman who suggested because I had been the beauty editor of Vogue a number of years before and that I do some shoots so I started and it evolved it went from there
0: that must have been kind of um, a daunting task to try to bring in the magazine, something that the editor-in-chief wasn't necessarily, you know, um, didn't have a proclivity for.
1: Well, my shoots weren't very good at the beginning, I have to really? say. Really? No.
0: I love hearing that, by the way. <laughs> it gives everybody hope that, like, they can actually get better.
1: No, when I, um I, I try not to look back on them, but if I do... I sort of think, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And it it was a combination of a lot of things because I didn't know the kind of beauty that Anna would be interested in. I'm not sure that she knew at that time. She just knew that she didn't like conventional beauty pictures. And it was when I started to work with Penn that I learned from him. And um, she preferred his portraits and his beauty pictures to the fashion pictures that he was doing at the time and so she wanted to concentrate on that. So
0: did you feel at the time that you that getting to work with Irving Penn was like a, an extreme privilege? Did it feel like wow, I'm I'm getting to work with this iconic photographer?
1: Yes, I I did, but I I I knew him because I worked with him when I was an assistant at Vogue. Okay. So I already knew him, and that, that was a big start. Um,
0: what was it about the early years working with Irving Penn that shaped your career or influenced you?
1: He taught me how to look beyond the obvious in illustrating a, a photograph or an idea. Most of the pictures we did together, if they weren't portraits, were illustrating a beauty or a health idea. I mean, he would sit there, and we would talk about a picture, and he would say, "What is the model? What's the hair going to be like? What's the makeup going to be like? What's she?" Go-? And if it was a fashion picture or something that was more full length, he would say, "What's going to be on her feet? What is this? What is that?" So I had to consider every detail, and of course, the picture never ended up exactly like that, but uh, it made me very conscious of every single element that went into a photograph, and that helped me with every photographer I worked with.
0: Was that up to you at the end of the day? He <laughs> was asking you, not te- not telling you.
1: Well, it was both. He was asking me, and then he was also wanting to know what he was going to be up against. You know, Was he going to like it? And, of course, he had a very strong opinion. So, And, and I knew there were certain things that he liked. And some of those were not things that I liked when I started to work with him. For instance, he liked big hair. And one of the reasons he liked big hair was the way he lit a picture.
0: So let me ask you though, but you must have a proclivity to a portrait or a beauty image. There must be a reason why you ended up there and not as uh, styling a fashion shoot. What is it about your skill set that you think that brought you in closer range?
1: I don't know, honestly. I think it was an accident. Um, I, when I went to work for Glamour, which was at that time a very good fashion magazine, I interviewed with a woman who um, you wouldn't know the name, but I interviewed with a woman, and she was the beauty editor. But again, beauty and fashion were very connected. I didn't understand at the time what the difference was between being in the beauty department, being in the fashion department. I didn't realize they were completely separate.
0: Okay. Can you explain for our listener how they're completely separate?
1: Yeah, they were. But see, at American Vogue, when I was an assistant there, the fashion editors did the beauty pictures. The beauty editors didn't do shoots. Right. They, the beauty pictures were done. And then um, later on, actually, no, not later on. They will. No, the beauty editors didn't do shoots. So I thought, that beauty and fashion were very connected. When I went to Glamour, they weren't really connected. They were connected a little in the in the look, but I they weren't really that connected. But my background was fashion. I learned fashion at British Vogue and American Vogue. So I always, in my head, felt that beauty and fashion needed to be connected. Uh-huh. I, I liked the idea when I realized I couldn't do fashion. There at Glamour, I liked the idea of illustrating a concept and telling a story. And I found that very interesting and very challenging. And I don't think... It was just the way I went about thinking about an image. And...
0: It, It had to be so different from the way that you thought about laying out a fashion story.
1: Yeah, it was totally different because for... For beauty, whether it was at Glamour or American Vogue, I dressed the idea. Fashion shoots start with the clothes. Beauty starts with the idea, and you dress the idea.
0: I love that concept. So,
1: so if, I, if there was a, a beauty picture about hair, the hair was very important, but what the woman was wearing, the makeup she was wearing, her attitude really did, told you what the hair was who the woman was wearing that hairstyle.
0: Right. So
1: I found that intriguing and actually Anna liked that because as I think I said before, she didn't like straightforward beauty pictures. She didn't like to document a look. She has a very good sense of humor. She's very witty and she likes surprises. So when I first started to do beauty pictures for American Vogue, as I said before, they were terrible. And part of the reason they were terrible was that I didn't know how to work with pen. I was intimidated by him. He had a reputation for not just being difficult with editors, but sending models home. If he didn't get what he needed, he just stopped the shoot and sent them home. And the other thing I was afraid of was if I did something and he went off in a very pen-like direction that I didn't think was what Anna wanted, I was afraid to have a photograph killed.
0: Can you can you explain what is a pen like direction?
1: Well, when when Anna came to Vogue, she changed the look of the magazine. the The models were more real. It was more uh, they they were more accessible. The woman she we shot more outside than we did in the studio, and it was more in life. And um, times had changed, and Pen was very stylized and quiet and over the top uh uh-huh. um,
0: was it ca- was it camp at all
1: no never Mm-mm. i suppose you maybe some people could look at some of the pictures i don't think so right no
0: so when you're a young editor and now you're kind of carving out this new position at vogue wasn't that intimidating for you to walk even though you knew him as an assistant wasn't it intimidating to go and be the representative of vogue with a photographer like that
1: well yes i was afraid of him and i was afraid of anna (laughs) i did everything he wanted she wouldn't like the picture and if i tried to push what i thought she wanted he wouldn't shoot it
0: so and did they both know that and they both knew that you were the message they
1: were both really smart and well alex lieberman was very in involved in this. And I suspect the behind the scenes, because I knew him from the days when I was a beauty editor at Vogue. So I suspect that he was telling Penn, be patient. I think she knows what she's doing. And he was saying to Anna, give it some time. And to Anna's credit, she published some pictures that she probably shouldn't have. Mm. And I remember, and, and as I say, I didn't think the pictures were very good. I mean, Penn was at a, a point where he had been doing a lot of photographs for Vogue. It was in his contract before Anna came that he had a contract to do a a lot of pictures in a year. And because of that, he had started to use strobe. And the pictures that I loved of his were the ones he did very early on in the 50s when he used daylight, available light. Right. So at one point... We had worked together. We had done some pictures that were successful, but we were going to Paris to do a couture shoot for the art of couture for the Met. And I asked him if he would consider using daylight and he got very quiet. He thought for a minute and it wasn't a much longer conversation than that. And he said, yes, if you can find the studio, I worked in, in the fifties. Well, that was him. That was always a challenge. You know. You thought you were there. And right. You um, and we didn't find it because it had been torn down and a bunch of condos had been built there. But we found our, our Paris editor, who is brilliant, Fiona Duran, found a studio that was exactly like the one he used. And we did it. And that changed the, the nature and the kind of pictures that we could do.
0: Was he aware that that was a shift in that moment, too? Yeah. Because sure. he was so pleased with what the outcome was.
1: Well, yes. And and before that, we had done, we had done, let's see, we hadn't done that many portraits. That shift was early on in our working relationship. But I remember one before he made that shift to daylight, I was working with Orbe and Linda Evangelista. We were doing a hair color story. And Orbe wanted to do one thing and I had an idea and we were talking about it and then we were afraid that Anna wouldn't like it and Penn wouldn't like it. And I finally thought, listen, I've just got to do what looks right or what I feel is right. And if Mm. somebody doesn't like it, we have to do it. And Orbe was fantastic. And that was the beginning of actually Penn beginning to trust me because he saw that the picture was different from the images that we had done before, but it was still very Penn.
0: And you had to earn his respect? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when you got it?
1: Um, it was a process. Mm-hmm. And I think I got it a little bit at that. Well, he must have respected me enough to keep working with me, because if he didn't respect someone, he wouldn't work with them. Okay. And I, I kept going back. And we kept trying to when I say we, I mean, I did and Anna did, you know, sort of do a slightly different kind of picture. And then when we went to daylight and that shoot in Paris, that changed everything because he did his portraits with daylight and that's how he did the early pictures, many of them. And um, the only thing he didn't do daylight was uh, still lifes when we did some of the food to illustrate some of the food articles.
0: Do you feel like you still have to earn people's respect? Yes. Really?
1: It's not a given.
0: Even if you've been at Vogue for 30 years and you are like, have a direct line to Anna Wintour, you still have to prove yourself.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, the nature of what we do. You know, you're as good as your last shoot.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if that ever went away.
1: (laughs) No. No. Even with Penn, it didn't go away. I remember um, he would get nervous sometimes, and we were photographing five artists for a huge gift that was given to the Whitney. It was Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns and Chuck Close and uh, two others, and he was a nervous wreck.
0: Huh. And,
1: you know, it's it's he had all of these great artists in the studio, and they all had an opinion, and he knew them but he, he was nervous too. I mean, I, I think um, it's human. If you're not nervous, there's something wrong.
0: Like, are, do you have a bit of nerves on every shoot you do? Yes. And do you show your cards? Do people know it?
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, Maybe they do. And nobody ever comes up to me and says, boy, are you nervous?
0: Right. But they might say she's not happy or, you know, well, Something's not really right.
1: Different. she's not happy is a little different from <laughs> being nervous. She's not happy is is um not good-huh.
0: so Phyllis, what do you like to work with? Would you in your opinion of yourself, what do you like to work with? Are you oh. collaborative? are you yes,
1: yes. Listen,
0: dominating you know no, what are- no,
1: no. you cannot get a good picture. at least I don't believe you can get a good picture unless you collaborate with the people that you've booked. And and I don't mean just the photographer, because I mean, the hairdresser, the model, the makeup, the set designer, everybody contributes to a picture. It's not just me. It's not just the photographer. And if I worked with one hairdresser, makeup artist model on a shoot, and then did the same shoot with different people, the picture would be different. Right. I, I want them, I book people because I love what they do and they want, I want them to feel free to contribute and to say something.
0: And you prefer an artist who actually speaks up.
1: Absolutely. Even if we don't, even if we don't agree, it pushes the visuals someplace
0: else. And what about if you can smell fear? What if you're working with a younger artist somehow on set and you feel like they're not comfortable?
1: I try to make them comfortable. You do. yeah,
0: okay. Um, what
1: also, also, when I do, as you said before, that a lot of most of the beauty and health, and even some of the fashion shoots that I did were illustrating an idea or or were illustrating an article. I talk to everyone before the shoot. I mean, today it's more difficult because nobody wants to get on the phone, but I'll email or talk to the hairdresser and the makeup person and um, certainly the set designer and, of course, the photographer. So I talk to each one of them and say, this is what I'm thinking, and this is what the idea is, and this is who the model is. What do you think? Think about it.
0: Does the buck stop with you though? This if it's not successful, if the, if you don't get that image, right, it's, who is it on?
1: I feel like it's on me. Occasionally it's, um, on a photographer, but I, I haven't, I haven't had many failures, at least not in the last few years.
0: I wanted to say, I've, I got your book. It's fabulous. I love, um, Pretty mu- I mean, ever, I can say every image, not to sound like a sycophant, but um, a lot of the text that you wrote, so many of the shoots, you got it when the sun was going down and you had five minutes or someone walked away and then said, oh, wait, come back, let's do one more picture. Is that common that you work all day and then you get the shot in, in um, the final hour?
1: Well, I think you're referring partly to Stephen Klein, which yes. at that time, that was, you know, that was his process. You know, if if he knew that the model had to leave at six o'clock, we would get the picture at 515. If he knew she had to leave at nine o'clock at night or she didn't have to leave at all, I was there once till two in the morning doing a shoot. But he's not he's he's come a long way from that time. And he's um, that doesn't really happen anymore, at least. And we know each other better. So that was with Stephen. But the other photographers, not really. OK. I mean, if the picture happens too quickly, depending on who the helmet, Newton was very fast. So um, he, he shot very little film. He didn't want to waste time. He knew where he wanted to shoot. He knew how he wanted to shoot. So he was he was quick. But sometimes with photographers, if I don't know them very well, I think if we get the picture too quickly that. Maybe there's another way or maybe we can dig Deeper into the idea and do something more unexpected. I mean, I'm always looking for a surprise.
0: Mm-hmm. So, is a great fashion photographer like a great fashion photographer also a great beauty photographer?
1: No, um, there are a lot of great fashion photographers who don't like to do beauty. They they can do a close up of. A fashion look. And it can be a very, very good picture. I mean, Stephen Meisel is brilliant at that. And he does he does more than just document the look. But again, as I said, a lot of the pictures, the beauty pictures I've done, were illustrating a concept. And you know, to some fashion photographers, it's just boring to them. They're, they're not interested in it.
0: It's tedious?
1: It's tedious. They, they're fashion photographers. What gets them excited is the fashion.
0: Okay, But what about in terms of even um, I know that it might bore you to talk technically, but is there a technical difference? Is the light have to be different? Do you have to have a know-how to shoot that close?
1: I don't think it's different. I think if if one understands light, you can do it, whether it's um, a headshot or a fashion picture. No. Mm -hmm. What is they have?
0: How important is the point of view of the photographer?
1: It's very important. I really like to work with photographers who have a strong point of view. And I try to see the picture through their eyes. So when I work with, when I worked with Penn, it was a Penn picture. He was so strong. When I worked with Stephen Klein, I tried to see the picture through his eyes. And of course he has hundreds of ideas. And uh, that's another story, but. <laughs> Um, who else? Tim Walker has lots of ideas. So um, I try to see the picture through their eyes and it's easier to work with a photographer who has a strong point of view.
0: Do you think that like, let's say Helmut Newton liked kind of smut. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. Would you agree? No. Oh, okay. I, I don't mean that as a pejorative. I just mean that there was always a certain amount of, I don't. I'm not going to be able now that you said no to to <laughs> verbalize it. But there was a strong woman. There was always something a bit dangerous about. Or yes, helmet. About. That helmet, was his point of view.
1: Helmet loved strong women. Uh huh. He celebrated women. Um, I wonder what he would do in today's climate of how he would photograph women. Um, I don't think he'd change very much.
0: But he may not be able to work for American Vogue.
1: He may not want to. Right. I mean, th- that's a whole other conversation that I'm, I'm not sure I want to have. But Helmut's women were strong women. They were the ones controlling the situation. Even if you think about his pictures, these were very strong women. And the pictures we did together they were strong they they were they were in control
0: well there's no controversy there i think all of his images are beautiful the only thing is in the the climate of political correctness and sensitivity that would be it but i don't think there's anything uh about his images that aren't just beautiful iconic pictures yeah you know so it's only as as um kind of controversial as someone might make it mm-hmm. But that's actually, that's the climate of today. So it also can't be ignored. Um, what do you, I want to talk obviously about hair and makeup. You kind of touched on it before, but what makes someone a good hair and makeup artist in terms of beauty?
1: me, the best hair and makeup artist, besides having the technique, which is a given, I assume that the hair and makeup people I like to work with can see a picture they don't just do the hair or do the makeup and go sit and go on, the, go on their phones. They're interested in the image. They watch every detail. They're very into the photograph.
0: Are they also willing to like completely change direction?
1: Sure. I mean, sometimes um, I'll have an idea or we have a conversation and the model or the subject gets in front of the camera and it's just not working. Or it isn't working, or the photographer isn't quite happy with it, or I look at it and I think, oh, I made a mistake with that lip suggestion. And um, so we, we change it. And when we change things, you change one thing at a time. Oh. If, if it's not working, you look at it and you figure, okay, what isn't working? Is it the lip color? Is it the eye makeup? Is it the hair? And change one thing at a time. I don't we don't go back and change a whole look and say, okay, that's not working. Let's try this.
0: And why is that?
1: Because the people that I work with are very good and they bring they bring their eye to it. And it's a waste of time to start over because we first we have to find out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at the picture and I know something's wrong. Or the photographer thinks something's wrong. Sometimes it's very specific, sometimes it isn't.
0: Do you book different hair and makeup based on the photographer or concept of the shoot? Yes. So that's kind of they would come later. You would have the concept, the photographer, and then you, who you think would I have, best suit that.
1: I, I have the concept or the article or the idea to illustrate the article first, and then I talk to the photographer. So what I may have had in mind could easily change once I have a conversation with the photographer. And each photographer is different. Some go away and think about it and come back and say, listen, I've done this and this, and let's do it this way. Other ones just take that in and we work it out on the shoot. But...
0: You did that shoot with Irving Penn. Kevin O'Quan did that um, orangey coral lip, and you had the bee on the lip. Okay, I have a million questions about this. Why did they put the bees in the refrigerator?
1: Because when the bees are cold, they're sleeping. Oh. And we had a beekeeper bring those bees from, I think it was Colorado, because it was winter in New York and there were no bees. So we we those are the days we had big budgets. We flew the beekeeper from Colorado. He brought his bees with him. None of them had their... Stingers removed, no bees were hurt. Um he you put flew the-, the
0: bee privately?
1: No, no. Oh, no.
0: okay. We're oh good. Well good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> only. Um no, so he put the bees in the fridge and they when they got cool enough, they went to sleep and he put the bee on the model's lip. And as and as the bee warmed up, it started to move. There's one picture. I don't remember if it's the one in the book where the bee wings are slightly out of focus because it was starting to move. Mm -hmm. And then the beekeeper would come and he'd take the bee off and put another bee on.
0: How long did it take you to get those shots?
1: It probably took, well, when I say a day, it wasn't a day we would start at, we do the hair and makeup and then, Ken would do a few rounds of pictures and then he'd stop and give everyone a rest because it's difficult too for the model to be in that one position for a long time. And and she had to move her lips because he would direct her and he would say, open your lips, do this, do that. One point she stuck her tongue out and the bee was on her tongue. That was for her. And that was funny. <laughs> and We were all terrified that it was going to bite her, but it didn't. Um, and then we stopped and we'd start again. And we probably finished by two, had a quick lunch.
0: And can you still do that for you at Vogue? Can you still devote that amount of time to a single image?
1: Mm, yes and no. Uh, it depends on the cost. Um, usually, I just did a shoot for British Vogue where we with Inez and Venude, and we did six beauty pictures in a day.
0: And you never would have done that with Helmut Newton or
1: well, Helmut. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because Helmut's pictures, they when they were beauty pictures, but they were illustrating ideas, so they were very seldom close-ups. Okay. They, so they were more approach like fashion pictures, but fashion wasn't the focus. So yeah, you know, we would do six pictures a day easily. I mean, Helmut would be he would do six pictures in time for a late lunch. <laughs>
0: But um, I, I remember being an assistant on like big beauty shoots and people wanting eight images in a, in a day and the makeup artists being like, this is insane and everybody kind of feeling rushed. Um, is that a reality today?
1: Um, it's not something I would do because you'd be lucky to get one good picture out of that. And I know that's the way things are today. Things are faster. There isn't enough money to do two days for that kind of a shoot. But if someone asked me to do eight beauty pictures in a day, I, it would not be something I feel I could do.
0: And you're at the one of the few magazines where you could still have the privilege of not doing that.
1: Well, they wouldn't ask.
0: Right. But what do you that, think?
1: She has never run eight beauty pictures in an issue since I've known her. So, what? She might, um, ask, she might ask to do two beauty shoots in the same day, which is a different thing, and that's possible.
0: What is it like to have the pressure that you only get one image and it has to be memorable? Because you can't survive at Vogue by. I would imagine by playing it safe, you've got to have your page stand out.
1: Well, yes. The reason, one of the reasons it has to stand out is that it's a fashion magazine. And if there's one beauty image, I feel, or one feels the need to make an image that the readers will stop and look at. And to do that, it has to be something unusual or shocking or unexpected. And um and I like that pressure.
0: I'm Isn't kind of, that a lot though every time you start a new shoot to go, oh my god, like I've got a I've gotta pull another rabbit out of the hat.
1: But I don't always. Sometimes the pictures aren't always that aren't that strong, but they're good enough. You know, yes, my goal is to do that every time, but I don't always succeed. And some So you're
0: okay with good enough.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Because it's reality.
1: Yeah, it it is. And, you know, if I did six pictures in a day, I would be lucky if one of them would stand alone. I mean, that's one of the benefits of fashion shoots, because if you have a 10-page or a 12-page shoot, the pictures don't have to stand alone. They can be fantastic pictures, but they tell a story or they're illustrating a fashion point. So there isn't that pressure, but I'm so, it's what I do. You know, I'm so used to it that that's the least of my worries.
0: Do you still get stories killed?
1: Um, Not for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. If you have had one killed in the past, is it hard not to take that personally?
1: Of course I take it personally. Yeah. But, you know, when I look back, there are very, I didn't have many pictures killed. And of the ones that were killed, there were very, very few in retrospect that should have run, that they were right to kill them. Mm. You know, we're, we're all very emotionally attached to our shoots, but, um, and we love the pictures or we wouldn't have done them. But there were one or two that should have run and actually did in other vogues. But um, for the most part, they, it was the right thing to do
0: if you were to have either a situation like that where you really feel strongly about something and you have a boss who is saying, you know, I don't see it. What is your tactic for getting, um, hurt? Do you just like really state your case or do you have ways that you can kind of persuade people to come on your side?
1: It depends. I mean, there, if I really feel strongly about a picture and really don't agree, um, I talked to Anna. I did a picture with Tim Walker once for sun protection. And it was a beautiful picture and she didn't like it. And it kept going up on the board and off the board and on the board. So after about three days of this, I, I couldn't understand why she didn't like the picture.
0: And they don't give you a reason. It's just not on the board.
1: She didn't like it. That's uh-huh. the Okay. <laughs> so... I went into her office and I said, you know, I I see that you're not happy with the Tim Walker picture. I said, but I I don't understand why. What is it that you don't like about that picture? Because I think the girl looks beautiful. It tells a story. It's not the same old sunscreen picture. And so, you know, I went on and on. And she said, it just doesn't look like an American Vogue picture. And I said, but that's what I love about it. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I said, we've done that sunscreen picture a hundred times. And that's what I love about the picture. It's just, you know, something different. And it's just another way of saying the same thing. So, um, you know, I said, I I would hope that you reconsider and maybe run the picture.
0: So you really, you really like went out on a limb for this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of other pictures I did too. Um, that people had done and there were different reasons, but um, anyway, the end of that story is I went back into the art department the next morning and the picture was back up. Mm. So yes, it, I can have it. It depends on what she didn't like about the picture and why she didn't like it.
0: And how much of an omnipresence does she have in your brain <laughs> at work?
1: She's always there.
0: Right. She's your judge.
1: Well, but she's also, she inspired a lot of the pictures because she wanted to be surprised and she didn't want a, um, a picture that she had seen before. And sometimes when I was trying to figure out how to illustrate something and I couldn't get beyond either what I thought she wouldn't like or whatever, um, I went in to talk to her and I I told her this is where I am and this is what we're thinking. And it's just not quite working, but I'm, I'm stuck. And most of the time she would say one thing and it would either open up the possibilities or she'd say, well, why don't you do that?
0: So she actually has a, uh, not just a business influence, but she's actually has like a really creative influence.
1: Huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, she encouraged me to do, um, to take chances.
0: I think that in some, like just real life way, it's impossible to know what someone else is going to like or not like. Right. And it can almost be crippling. If you're, if you're thinking about pleasing, you know, other people or too many people, how do you, then just like you were saying earlier, like on set, okay, we got to do something. Like, do you, do you have ways that you can say, okay, I, I I don't know what, if she's going to like this or get printed, but I've got to follow my heart or my creative process.
1: Experience makes a big difference. I mean, now, you know, I've had enough pictures that she has liked or loved. And she wrote a fantastic introduction to my book And I know what she likes. And I remember when I first started to do what some people call weird pictures, you know, not the expected pictures. They didn't work out because the woman in the picture looked too strange. Uh Even in the sort of more extreme pictures in the book, the woman always looks like, or at least I think, like a vogue woman. And that, if if a reader can look at an image and see the model in the picture and identify with that situation or the way that model looks, even if it's, she has a mask on her face, then that usually is successful. I mean, I did a shit with Stephen Klein about um, plastic surgery and how so many women were going to the same doctors that they all began to look alike, And... I wanted to do the shoot on pair of twins. Stephen had a better idea, which is to do it on what they call real dolls. And um, the clothes were very chic. We did uh, three shots. I think one were the two of them in bathing suits at a pool at a very uh, well designed house. And the other was in a, uh, I think it was a Dolce & Gabbana dress. And What we discovered when we were doing the, we had to change the makeup on the real dolls because it was a bit tacky. And what we discovered when we started to do the makeup was that the faces of the dolls came off and there was this kind of strange, grotesque face underneath. It was white and you could see the teeth and the lips. And so we dressed the girl, we did the hair, in one picture, she's holding the made up face in her hand and she's just sitting in a chair and this little scene going on in the background. And it was one of those shoots that I thought either Anna is going to love this or she's <laughs> going to hate it and it's going to be absolutely dead. You know, the shoot I'm talking about. I do.
0: It's in your book. Peter yeah. Cumber. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And she loved it. And what she, the reason it worked and the reason she liked it, she was that these models look like real people.
0: Yeah. It's I It's one of my favorite in the book.
1: Yeah.
0: Did you, did you think that the Linval picture uh, with the gold front teeth was going to get published? Yes. To me, okay. that's not an American Vogue woman.
1: Well, Stephen,
0: but I love the picture. I'm not commenting. Yeah, on I that know. Yet.
1: No, well, Stephen wanted to do it as a Madonna and child. And Angela, it it was her child. She just had a baby a couple months before and she had the baby with her and it wouldn't have worked with a baby that we hired. It just, the child wouldn't have done that. But no, I just, Anna knew exactly what we were doing. I mean, she knew that we were using the gold teeth and Angela was dressed in a very feminine way and she was in a backyard and no, no, I thought. And
0: breastfeeding (laughs) for people who don't uh, know. Yes. And
1: breastfeeding for people who haven't seen the picture.
0: A lot of what we do is the art and the actual, the fun part. And then there's this whole other side to our industry that is political. Like you have to have survival skills. You have to know how to navigate a set, navigate for you an office. Um, how have you been able to survive, do you think, th- a 30-year career? What is it about your um, being or skill set that that allowed you to make it this far?
1: I think it would be better if you asked other people to answer that question. Um, really, I think. Well, what what enabled me to make it this far is that Anna liked the pictures that I did. Every okay. office when you start political, every office is political. You know, an insurance company or Wall Street is political. It's just a different type of personality from Vogue political or Seventh Avenue political, but every, every place has uh, the same issues mm-hmm. in a different form.
0: The paranoia.
1: Well, whatever, either you learn to work with it or not. I wasn't particularly, and I'm not particularly paranoid.
0: Is there a packing order to get your stuff from market?
1: Yes. I mean, usually the fashion comes first. So if a fashion shoot or the lead wants a dress that I want, they have first choice, but then we work it out. Because if the fashion is shooting first, sometimes that dress doesn't get shot. And look, there's always more than one way to do a picture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I may that- not do that way at the time, but there's always one more than one way.
0: Do you, speaking of which... Um, I wanted to talk to you about, I've said this before, but art and commerce is the best uh, title of an agency or anything ever, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Tell me about how to, first of all, do you think you're creating art? And second of all, how do you then mix the, you have to sell magazines and please advertisers. How do you juggle putting an advertiser in a picture when you're making something that you might consider to be bigger than commerce?
1: Well, advertiser isn't necessarily a dirty word. I mean, advertisers do beautiful clothes and beautiful jewelry sometimes. You know, right. I mean, but they
0: also you have to, you might have to feature one that is paying buying the most ads.
1: I, I never. No, I mean that was never a problem for me. And also, if if it's an advertiser buying the most ads, then. Usually, it if it's fashion, it goes on a fashion shoot, and it fits into a point of view of uh, a trend that we were showing or or a situation. Uh, we have accessory shoots for that. But, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think you're making art?
1: No. I mean, it's very nice when it's pictures that I've done are considered art and end up in museums. But, no.
0: What are you making?
1: I don't know how to answer that.
0: What are you providing the reader, I guess?
1: What I, well, the, what I try to do with the beauty and health and some of the fashion is what I had said before, to make them stop and look and read the article if there's an article with it, or look at something and say, "What is this? Why is this? A- <clears throat> Why is this in the magazine?" Well, I don't know how to answer that.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer anyway. Does it have to be aspirational? It's nice if it is. Because I find a lot of things now, and um, not to be super aspirational.
1: They're not, and I think that's missing. Tell Especially me about it. When things open up more after COVID, I, I do think fantasy is important. I think people like to dream. The dream may be different from what it was 10 or 20 years ago, but um, yeah, I think aspirational is a good thing.
0: Has the influencer culture reached you at Vogue?
1: Again, I I don't know.
0: Probably. Well, just for you, like, do you...
1: No, for me, no. No. I mean, honestly, I don't know why somebody would want to look like someone else. You know, I, I get the whole influencer thing, but why would I want to look like Kim Kardashian? It's not, I mean, she's wonderful looking. Why would... It, it's just not the way I think.
0: Do you think that it's it's like too much homogeny in the looks now? No. Because I feel like everyone in that influencer world is getting the same lips, the same nose, the same filter, that even though it might seem more uh, multicultural, it's still the same aesthetic.
1: I don't follow that world. You don't? No.
0: Well, you're lucky. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I am.
0: But you don't even have to talk to influencers at of at a fa- in the front row of a fashion show. No. So they're just not permeating your your world.
1: Not my personal world. Right.
0: No. Yeah. Um, when you were starting out in the '80s and '90s, I have this kind of romanticism about the industry being very small, like very um, kind of you know, artistic, people partying. It's like a very, you know, maybe toxic in some ways. But now it's certainly more more corporate. You cannot get away with things like you used to. And a lot of that is good. But does some of that affect the art?
1: What do you mean, can't get away with some of the things like- we Well, used? I think that you can't,
0: like, it's just more corporate. Like, you can't show up to a set- you know 5 hours late and maybe well, you know high definitely. or you know the the kind of tantrums or obstreperous behavior that that was legendary i don't think you can do that anymore
1: well I, you probably can't but i'm lucky in that i never really had to deal with that i mean really a couple of drug problems and we got through the shoot but no it wasn't it wasn't at least the people i worked with and the shoots that i did weren't like that
0: yeah what did you like about working in an environment like an uh, vogue versus being freelance and maybe making your own schedule and maybe more money
1: i love the structure of vogue i liked being in an office with people that i liked who contributed to the work that I was doing. I mean, rather than choosing all the clothes myself, Virginia Smith or someone else would say, well, what about this one? And what about that look? Once they saw where I was going with it, I liked the sense of community. Um, and I liked the competition. You know, it, it pushes you, the, the sittings editors, uh, we're competitive with, with each other to a certain degree. We all want to do the best pictures. and that. I think encourages creativity and encourages you to think more about what you're doing.
0: Do you compare yourself to others?
1: Mm, Yes and no.
0: Like competitive is the good side of that. But what about uh, feeling like, tell me about comparing. No. (laughs) You won't tell or, or no. No,
1: no, this it's not. No, it's not something that that I'm comfortable talking about.
0: Right. I wanted to ask you about the models who you would book and ended up like you did a face cream shoot and and poured what looked like face cream all over the model or even the the lips that you only see the close-up. Could you get any model you wanted for that or would it have to be a pitch to be like, we might not recognize you in the shoot? Would they still want to do it?
1: You're talking mostly about pen shoots, and when we did those shoots uh, and I'll get to Stephen Klein in a minute but or helmet when we did those shoots with Penn, we always told the agent exactly what we were planning to do. Mm. And there were no surprises, and if a model didn't want to do that, that was fine. We, I completely understood, and so did Penn. The picture where we were pouring the cream on the model's face, uh, we had two models. Because it is exhausting and um, it takes a lot of courage and uh, and stamina to do those shoots. So we would do a series of pouring something on her face and then stop and let her rest and clean off the cream and then do the second model and we'd repeat that process. And it didn't take that long. Picture, you know, it, it's like we were aware that it was difficult for the models, so. Pen worked as quickly as possible, right? And he worked with a special lens, and uh, so that he could catch the cream splashing. So, but the, the models all knew, and I always would go up to them, you know, during in the process and say, "Are you okay? Do you need to rest? Are you warm enough?" I mean, everyone was very considerate, and it's the same thing. Some of the Stephen Klein shoots, you know, the models knew what we were doing ahead of time and that it would take you know, some patience to do it. And in, I'm looking at a picture in my book now that there's one where she's in the kitchen with her face covered by a mask. She knew right. that before she came to the shoot.
0: Or but, the girl who had the um, the rugby, it looked like a rugby football or something. Well, yes, yes.
1: Her I her She was a very good model. But the other thing about the models in those that picture and the Stephen Klein picture, you need a very very good model to make the gestures and to look real. While there's something on her face, even the the football, that the model in that picture, she kept. He would ask her to move her head and turn her face and lift her chin, and she had to be very patient. She had to understand how what she was doing looked to the photographer.
0: And do you think that they also wanted to do it because they got to be in front of you and Mr. Penn and maybe get something else yes. where their face would be
1: sure. Yes. Shown? And often we booked them. Yes, often they were new models, but very talented models. And often we booked them for something else.
0: Right. I There's mean, so the much of that, did, right? The, the give and take.
1: Who, the one who did the lip was a um, model who became an actress for a short time named Estella Warren. And she was very good model. She worked for, I think a lot of the Vogue's and then she acted in a few films. I don't know what happened after that. So yeah, these are all good models.
0: So the opposite of that would be a portrait shoot with a personality or an actress. Do you put on a, a different thinking cap when you're working with those people?
1: Yes, it depends on the photographer as well. I mean, Penn never liked to dress personalities. He like, he preferred them in their own clothes. But we would do research and give them direction of which clothes to bring.
0: And how could you get someone like Kate Blanchett to get in to the um, Mary Antoinette or Queen Elizabeth? Well, it's,
1: um... it was for her film. It was for her film, Elizabeth the First, and. Penn didn't like to photograph actors as themselves. I mean, he did some, but because he felt, he wanted to get past their public pers- persona and he wanted to get under the skin. And actors are very good at projecting what they want. They know what makes a picture good. And he loved the idea of photographing Kate Blanchett, but um, we had presented it to him as a project to photograph her in costume from the film. And we thought he would love the costumes as it turned out pen being pen. He didn't like the costumes. He thought they were tacky. (sighs) So I said, but what if we get someone to make a dress that looks like the costume of that period? And he said, yes. And we asked Nicola Gasquire who made that beautiful dress with pearls and it was an amazing creation that he made for one picture for Kate Plangette for Penn. Wow. And, and when he was finishing the costume, he called me and he said he was having a little trouble with the ruff around her neck. And the only thing that was right were paper doilies. And did I think Penn would like that? And I said, yes. You know, I thought he'd love it. And of course, I asked Penn, and he thought it was a wonderful idea. And that's what it was. She was wearing paper doilies.
0: And did she bring her own hair and makeup?
1: Julianne Deese did the hair, and he put all those beautiful pearl pins in her hair. And Pat McGrath did the makeup.
0: It's really like a genius. uh, She was fantastic.
1: And Kate Blanchett was so special. She was so collaborative and so patient, and it was one of the few times that Penn took quite a long time photographing her because he enjoyed it so much.
0: When you're working with an actor, is it does it take a lot more persuading?
1: It depends on the actor, and it depends on what we're doing. If we photograph them in costume or in something that's very close to the costume, no. If it's, It doesn't take much persuading because they're usually promoting a film. Mm-hmm. If we photograph them as themselves, they usually want to know where, whether it's inside or outside and what the location is and how much time. But whether it was Penn or Newton or Stephen Klein or those, they're familiar with those people's, Tim Walker, with their work. So... They were giving themselves over to the photographer.
0: Right. They're coming in with a certain amount of trust. No, there
1: there were, yeah, there were one or two uh, situations that didn't turn out very well that um, we got a picture. But um, for the most part, you know, 95%, it was all good.
0: It seems to me that you have very close relationships with, um, you know, several photographers, but they go back many years and you have certain people that you keep working with. Um, What can you say about Annie Leibovitz?
1: Well, I can say Annie's difficult, but I love her pictures. And we always get something interesting. and. I know what she likes and we talk about she likes to talk about the shoot in advance and we've had great success. So, you know, if she's difficult, then and we get a good picture, it's worth it.
0: And difficult because she wants her way. Or her vision, or is that the thing that's hard?
1: All the photographers want their vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be specific.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Um, But she does amazing, amazing work, obviously. Um, When
1: Annie is difficult, it's because she's nervous. We were talking earlier about photographers and me being nervous. And when she's difficult, it's because she's nervous or because what she thought was going to happen wasn't happening. I mean, I remember one time we were photographing at the New Whitney. We were doing a portrait there, and she had scouted the the location and she knew exactly where she wanted to shoot and what the light situation was like. We got there two days later, and they'd moved everything around. So that's difficult for anyone, but it people act out in different ways when. You, when they get into a tough situation.
0: And what do you then do? Do you try and placate the photographer?
1: No, because it had nothing to do with me. And Mm -hmm. I just try to be patient and support her and try and find a solution. Right. And she always does, but.
0: Um, I think you have a, a particularly difficult job of being representing the magazine and also helping the photographer get what they want out of the shoot that doesn't seem like an easy job.
1: Well, I think every editor has that problem. Mm-hmm. If you want to call it a problem.
0: I've been talking to a lot of uh, people on the podcast about references and knowing your fashion references and, you know, like we're like talking to Garen, he basically knows every fashion reference and can pull them up in his mind and, you know, Uh, reinterpret them. Do you work with references? Is that important for you?
1: I never work with references. Okay. Um, I think references are kind of insulting to a photographer. I think references limit the way a photographer will look at the picture, because if we're doing a picture and I show a photographer a reference, it already eliminates 100 other possibilities. Mm. And it's too specific. I might show a reference of an old master painting as far as a position that might work for someone who might not be experienced enough or as a starting point, but not as background, clothes, mood. I don't do mood boards. I don't do any of that. And...
0: Um, would, you, would that be the same if you were doing fashion shoots? Yes, Mm -hmm.
1: I mean I try to see through the photographer's eyes and build a picture. So I'm talking about, or even if it was fashion, through their eyes, and bring whatever it is that I see with me to add into that photographer's thinking. But um,
0: and hair and makeup too. You don't you don't show them references.
1: No, no, especially not hair and makeup because, again, it gets too specific. And I work with very good people and don't think they need references. I mean, if I work with Orlando, I know what his style is. If I work with Julien Dees, he can do 100 different things. So we talk about the picture and we talk about what we're looking for. But, right.
0: Um, and but what about thing. someone like a Stephen Mizel, who uses references in such a genius way, but but you can definitely see if he's doing 60s, it might be Gene Shrimpton. like as that reference.
1: Yeah. That's a different thing. I actually only work with Steven once or twice. I love his pictures. He doesn't do beauty and other people do his kind of fashion better than I do. So I haven't worked with him. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Their references work.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Um, as I say, I try to see through the photographer's eyes and get something unexpected. I don't want them to repeat themselves.
0: How do you, in such a visual world, we're all such visual people in this industry. How do you convey what you, what you want or what, what your ideas are if you don't have a picture?
1: I talk, I talk too much. And it's, it's, fun. I start to describe first. I explain if it's an idea or a concept or an article that we're illustrating I tried to give the photographer as much information as possible about what the idea is and what the possibilities are. I, I suppose I should be more specific, but. Um,
0: Do you, are there ever communication problems where, where you're just not on the same page because it's hard to explain?
1: No. I mean, I may have an, a, an idea in my mind of what the picture will look like, And once I explain what I'm thinking to the photographer and what the idea was, they might come back with something completely different Mm -hmm. as Stephen Klein does sometimes. But that's a good thing because I'm not a photographer. So I just try to feed enough information to the photographer to see what will open up for them, what they'll come up with. And, you know, they don't do it on the spot. They think about it and they maybe do some research. but.
0: do you think there that the photographers that you worked with didn't use references? It was was there more originality?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the photographers that I was lucky enough to work with all have a strong point of view. Tim Walker has a strong point of view. Um, Anton Corbine, when he does his portraits, by the time we get to the shoot, Anton and I have talked about the clothes. He's told me where he wants to shoot. And when we get there, my job is done. Occasionally, I'll see something and I'll whisper and I'll say, what do you think about this? We we photographed uh, Djokovic for, I guess, right after we won another huge tournament. This is about eight years ago. And we were photographing him in the woods in outside of uh, Wimbledon. And Anton got a very, very good picture. But I was while he was shooting, I was talking to... Djokovic's manager and he was talking about his range and how he moves and he went on and on about this and I thought okay so I went over to Anton and and I went over to Anton I said do you think he'll take his shirt off and (laughs) about him is that he really has such a huge wingspan and he stretches In an incredible way. And Anton just took that and he did a completely different picture from what he was thinking. But it wasn't what I told him to do. It was what the information brought to him and took him someplace else.
0: It sounds like you really lean on everybody's input and creativity to come together.
1: Oh, absolutely. I need all the help I can get. Mm hmm. I wanted to say one other thing about yes. working with people because one of the things now that I find important is that I'm not so young anymore and I like to work with a young photographer or a young team. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying everybody has to be young, but I think that the balance of what a, a point of view of someone in their early 30s or late 20s Brings to a picture and what I have mixes very well and brings a different sensibility to the pictures that we do. Right. I mean, I've worked with Ethan James Green a few times, and I love working with him, and he has uh, not always when he shoots a rogue, but he has a, a very strong point of view that I like. I like his street people. I like his black and white pictures.
0: I think he's one of the biggest talents to come out in the last few years.
1: I do too. And And and, I like that
0: everything's stripped down because everything has been kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but there's something very stripped down about his photos, very raw and very honest that feels fresh right now.
1: Yes. And it's the opposite to the pen pictures, but he has a strong point of view and, um, And the people we work with, the hair and makeup people, are old school and new school. You know, we mix, everything gets mixed up. But the combination of my experience and his experience and where he comes from, I think, is beneficial to each of us.
0: I agree. Um, If you could go back in time and meet yourself anywhere, where would it be and what would you say?
1: There's more than one time. I mean, I remember when I came back to Vogue and walked in the door, that big Vogue was on the wall. I was just so happy to be there. This is during Anna's time. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't think of anything to say. I'm not so much a word. I mean, I've been talking for the last hour and a half, but I'm not such a word person. I've just, look, I've been incredibly lucky. I've been incredibly lucky with the the editors I've worked with, and um, the photographers I've worked with, and the people I've met along the way. I mean, I, you know, I as I said before, I need all the help I can get, and these I've met such wonderful people.
0: But you really think luck? I mean, you don't you don't think that it's also because of your talent?
1: Yes, I'm sure, but um, that has something to do with it. I hope, but. Um, luck has something to do with it. Mm. I, I I just feel very fortunate that, um, that I've had this career.
0: Yeah. And you don't have any regrets.
1: No, no, because if I changed one thing, then everything else would be different. So no, I don't, whatever, um, Happened got me to where I am.
0: Do you learn from failure? Failures?
1: Of course. Of course.
0: And then when you have them now, do you acknowledge that you, okay, this could be a learning opportunity or you can't see it in the moment?
1: I don't know. I, I wouldn't. You know, what happens when you talk about failure, what happens is that sometimes, or Once in a while, I'll finish a shoot, and I'll be on my way home and think, I should have done that, or I should have suggested that. Mm -hmm. Because we get caught up in the moment, and everything is fine. But then the next day or a few hours later, you think, what was I thinking? You know, we all get caught up in the moment, and it's hard to distance yourself when you're in the middle of it. But um, of course, you have to learn from failure. If you don't, you repeat the failure again.
0: Or you just never get back up.
1: Or you never get back up. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I made a little fun game uh, that Um, I thought we could play. You have to eat in restaurants in one New York City location for the rest of your life. You can only eat in this one neighborhood in New York city for the rest of your life. A upper East side B West village C Williamsburg D East village.
1: West village. Okay.
0: Um, You can only watch one channel for the rest of your life. A MSNBC B food network C Fox news D New York one.
1: I turn it off.
0: (laughs) Um. You have one celebrity chef to cook an intimate meal for 10 of your closest friends. A, Thomas Keller. B, Jean-Georges. C, Alan Ducasse. D, Eric Rupert.
1: Well, here I go again. Carlo Miracchi, he owns Roberta's and Blanca. Oh. In Brooklyn.
0: Okay. I didn't know I didn't know his name. So you would yeah. have a pizza a pizza party?
1: Well, no, it's not pizza. You see.
0: Oh, I thought Roberta's was pizza.
1: Roberta's is famous for pizza, but the food there is to die for, and he has an 18-seat counter called Blanca in the okay. back where he does the Thomas Keller kind of food.
0: Um you only get one flower arrangement for the rest of your life. Let's say weekly flowers, but only one type. A, white roses. B, Ranunculus. C, peonies. D, orchids. Poppies. Poppies. Okay. Um, one, <laughs> one beach location shoot for the rest of your life. A, Malibu. B, South Beach, Miami. C, Montauk. D, St. Barts.
1: Hmm. Montauk.
0: You get one dessert for the rest of your life and the calories will not be consumed. A. Cheesecake. B. Creme Brulee. C. Chocolate chip cookies. D. Volcano chocolate cake. Creme Brulee. One. You can only eat at one restaurant for the rest of your life. And you can't say Blanca because we just did that. A, mm-hmm. San Ambrose. B, Balthazar. C, jean George. D, Polo Lounge.
1: I don't want to answer that one.
0: Okay. Um, You're, you're forced. You're, I want to ask you why.
1: I, because I have too many friends. I mean, there's a fantastic restaurant called Kosaka on... West 13th street, Japanese. And it's like being in
0: Japan. It's so good. Kate Young told me that you're a foodie.
1: Yeah. I'm a little obsessed.
0: Okay. You're forced to live the rest of your life in a hotel suite. Is it at a, the Carlisle B the Mercer C Crosby street hotel or D the Greenwich?
1: No, I can't answer that. I haven't been in most of them.
0: Okay. Um, Anna Wintour asked you to bring one of the following as your date to the Met Gala. A. Lady Gaga. B. Kanye West. C. Serena Williams. Or D. Kim Kardashian.
1: Serena Williams.
0: Um, your, (laughs) Your table at the Met Gala is filled with all of your least favorite people, and there's one seat available next to you. Who do you invite?
1: She doesn't invite me to the dinner, so I don't need to answer that.
0: Okay. Um your favorite way to eat potatoes is A mashed, B, gratin de fil C French fried, or D baked and fully loaded. Hmm.
1: French fries. Of course. Well done. Um,
0: oh, extra crispy. Mm-hmm. My favorite fashion week is A, New York, B, London, C, Milan, D, Paris. It's
1: hard to say. I would say Paris or London.
0: Oh, okay. It's
1: hard to answer because for the kind of pictures I do, I get the most ideas from those two cities.
0: Mm. Do you still enjoy going to Fashion Week? Love it. Okay. Um, the farthest I've ever traveled for a destination meal.
1: Mm. Copenhagen.
0: Okay. Um, my go-to delivery dinner.
1: You mean restaurant?
0: Yeah. Where do you order from delivery? Your go-to.
1: Oh, I have two Thai diner and Kosaka.
0: Okay. And your favorite wedding gift to give?
1: A charitable donation.
0: That's nice. Well, I hope you enjoyed the game. That wasn't too bad, right? You? No, it wasn't bad. That's was fun. Um, I got inspired from, um, I'm reading the book from Fran, Fran Liebowitz, and she does all these A, B, C, D and they're so hysterical. She um, is funny.
1: she's a character.
0: So funny. Have you worked with her?
1: No. Um, I met her a number of times. I looked at most of her special with uh, Scorsese. Yeah. And um, it got kind of repetitious after a while, so I didn't finish it. You kind of knew where it was going, but listen, she's a character.
0: Yeah. I think you could do an amazing portrait with her.
1: We could. With the right photographer, I could.
0: Well, Phyllis, thank you so much for... um coming on my podcast it's amazing that i actually got to talk to you
1: oh it was a pleasure to talk about myself for two hours